back on the air. <laughs> okay, so we were talking about um, mon monopolies. I, I don't know if I adequately answered your question, or should I elaborate more? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, let's see. So, yeah, my point was just monopolies do... Okay, monopolies exist because government governments with government help because yes property needs to be enforced by government but even in our current system today natural monopolies are very easy and right. people either don't foresee this because they're naive or they're dishonest but you know going going back to kind of Molyneux's example Molyneux says well and and this is so absurd that I feel stupid repeating it but he says he says okay let's say you start out with five companies in the market and then one left, whether they went out of business or they just quit, and now there's four. Now, all three of those competitors, because you're obviously one of them, are going to be more valuable and have more market share just by that fifth one going away. Right. I, I'm, like, I'm like, what, dude, what? Seriously? Are you that stupid? He completely ignores the fact that a company, there's no definition of a company. There's no rule that says a company has 1% or 10% of a market share. Right. So a company that has 90% and then all five, all four or three others have less than 10%, it doesn't matter how big or small each other are. The yeah. big guy is still 90%. Right. And that's an extreme example. A less extreme example would be, again, Amazon. Ask any person on the street. Ask any e-commerce expert or investor or business person. Seriously, ask them. I challenge anybody to tell me who is a competitor to Amazon today. Nobody. <laughs> well, Nobody. I mean, technically, well, Walmart's not really a competitor, but it does have a fairly sizable amount of online okay, I'll take uh, that retail. I'll take that answer. Yeah. Um, In addition to the pickup, because uh, we use pickup because that at the very least in that sense, it's almost as like you're your own UPS driver and uh, you turn the Walmart itself into a distribution center yeah okay so um the point is amazon has allegedly you know 40 to 50 percent of our online commerce walmart and target i don't know how much but they certainly do not have the the remaining 20 to 24 25 percent which means walmart walmart has most of the remaining percent it does okay <laughs> yeah i'm okay. pretty sure walmart's the second biggest at least in America, next okay. to okay, Amazon. I'll okay, I'll take that. Okay, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll correct myself. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the last time I saw but it, let's, okay, well, we'll take it. But what that does mean is number three, whether that's Target or us, or oh, I can't even think of a third, third or fourth one. I'm sorry, but let's say Target. That means progressively you get smaller, you know, every next one you get. So you, get, you have your, your Amazon, then you have your Walmart, then you have Target maybe. And by the time you get to Target, it's 10% or less just by mathematics. Actually, I just remembered, I think it might be the Apple store that's like number three or something like that. That would, that would be by dollars, not transactions. Right. Yeah, you, there's, no <laughs> way, yeah there's no way Apple, Apple sells more stuff than, 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 any, than anything. They, they sell more dollars because they sell more expensive. Right. Well, well, I'm talking about like they're, they would include selling a song as selling something. Okay, fair. And so but anyway, you, that, then you, might, you might as well be talking about Netflix. So let's, right. let's, yeah, let me, let me clarify. If right. you were talking about online purchasing of physical goods, then you would be talking about Amazon, then Walmart, then maybe Target, and then maybe something else that I can't name right now. Right. Right. Okay. By the time you get to Target, you're 10% or less. Right. And by the time you get to the one after Target, it's far less than five or 10%. And the next one will probably be less than 1%. Right. So using Molyneux's logic, if somebody that we can't even name right now after Target, fuck it, I'll just Google it. I think I, I think I get what you're saying, though. You're basically the point is, is that even if the business with only one percent fails, that yeah. still leaves the, the top two or three of are on top utterly controlling the system. Exactly. Yeah. OK, so I, I now have a better answer. Uh, Amazon, eBay, Walmart, Etsy, Home Depot, Target, Best Buy, Wayfair. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds maybe right. Not in the, maybe not in the best order. Maybe this is ranked by traffic. So, but the point is, you you have about, yeah you have about five or ten companies, maybe Newegg. But point is, by virtue of one of these ten or eight companies going away, that's not going to make any of these others more powerful. 
at least not to not meaningful if anything if anything it'll go to number one or two right exactly and that that's that's something that you know Molyneux said that was very wrong he, he said that he, he basically believes that every step towards competitors dying makes each competitor stronger right and he's partially right He's just not, he's wrong on who, who he thinks is going to get stronger. He, yeah, he thinks it's going to get distri- distributed equally throughout all the competitors. Exactly. Yeah. He thinks that Amazon being number one, eBay and Walmart being number two and three, that if all the others died, then eBay and Walmart would get stronger, when in reality, they're more likely to make Amazon stronger. Right. Which is another way of saying monopolies exist just by virtue of how economics works. Unless you're going to debunk your own understanding of economics, which is the strong will get stronger, you have to admit that monopolies get easier unless you stop them. Right. Well, and so basically to sum it all up, technically the government is required for monopolies, but only if you're, if you believe that a government should exist, even if you, it is a small government, even if it is simply basic property laws and national self-defense and things like that. If you believe in a, any sort of government like that at all, technically it's true that a government like that has to exist in order for monopolies to occur. But at the same time, you also re- require that for the capitalist things that those people on the right or libertarians or whatever you would say also value as in property rights and patents and whatnot. Yeah. Another funny argument that I hear a lot, you've probably heard this, is that if it wasn't government-sanctioned or government-supported, then it's not called monopolies. It's just called the, the <laughs> resulting free market conclusion of a, of a company dominating a market share. To me, that just sounds like manipula- manipulating the definition so that you can just That's define exactly what whatever you like into being right. Exactly. It's, kind of, it's kind of like you know going back to what we said earlier, which is it's not a monopoly if it's not 100%. Right. Or um, – it kind of reminds me of the. I'm not uh, homo. Well, no. Well, I was going to say I'm not a uh, believer in the supernatural or a god or anything else like that, and so to me, it kind of reminds me of the people who expand the definition of God to mean virtually everything or just yeah. the universe itself or something like that. But changing the definition so radically makes it so that you're not even talking about the same thing, even mm-hmm. though you're calling it the same thing. Yeah, and um, just to wrap up this monopoly topic. 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, before Amazon grew as big as it was, uh, and the reason they did was the invention of smartphones and cloud computing. Mm-hmm. Even back in 2008, 2007, I was asking people this question. They couldn't answer it back then, but I asked them this. I said, today, Amazon is the biggest e-commerce company. eBay is the biggest online auction company. PayPal is the biggest online payment credit card alternative. Who are their competitors? They couldn't name them. And I asked them, why not? Who is stopping them? And they would have to make, do a lot of mental gymnastics to say either they're, they're blocked by patent laws or they're blocked by uh, natural forces of the market that isn't a bad thing. Or, <laughs> they'll, uh, or the, I, 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 those are the only two excuses I think of. Because every time you ask them, okay, where are these competitors that should theoretically exist since nobody's stopping them? Yeah, that kind of gets back to them defining them into the right. And so what you said is they just determine that as what the market demands and therefore it's good. That's basically defining good, not on consequences, but defining good on whatever the market does <laughs> that you think yeah, is good. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. And kind of goes back to a broader topic. I've noticed that whether you're I'm not going to go into pandemic today. Oh, go independent. I was actually about to ask you because I saw a comment you made in an unbiased America post. And so don't be afraid to go into pandemic, but go ahead. (laughs) So just to touch on it really, I recently noticed that even while I really try to give these people the benefit of doubt that they honestly disagree or they're ignorant or they just need the right information, I constantly have to be disappointed that they cannot argue against people without being dishonest. Like yeah. they can't just say, they can't just say, I understand you, but I disagree. Or we can agree on the facts. We just disagree on values. Like I, I keep telling right. this guy, um, this libertarian, I said, you and I literally agree on everything value principle wise, meaning we both agree violence is wrong. We both agree aggression is wrong. We both agree it's wrong to steal. We just disagree on what counts as justly owned. This is very hard for him to swallow because he knows that once he admits that, 
there's really no winning or losing because it comes down to the difference between me and a capitalist is I disagree on what is justly owned. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll, they'll say all kinds of things like you don't understand economics. You, you have no morals or whatever. I say, I have morals just different than yours. Right. Again, going back to religion, it re- reminds me of when people, when, if someone asks you what you are and you say you're an atheist, they say, so you don't believe in anything. And I'm like, no, I believe in a lot of things. I just don't believe in the God. Yeah. But how can you believe in anything unless you believe in God? Is that a joke question? Or? <laughs> it is, but I, I just want you to play along. <laughs> well, let's see. I believe I'm talking to you right now. You believe, but how do you know? Oh, you don't know anything. You can't be 100% certain about anything, but I think it's a high probability. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was, you know, I was so young when people caught me with these questions and I didn't know how to say, and this is something I almost think I, could, I should trademark, which is there is what's technically true and then there's what's practically true. Yeah. Technically, yes. I am not able to convince you or even myself that hard solipsism is false, but... Right. All of us are brains in a vet. Exactly. I'm alive. You're alive. If you want to be so cynical and denialist that you're going to deny everything, even yourself, we don't need to have this conversation. Yeah. But if you are honest enough to give me the benefit of doubt that I am a person capable of reasoning, and so are you, then I think we should stop wasting time arguing about something that's not in dispute. Why are you inventing a dispute just to undermine my argument, just to destroy your own, when you could just say, we simply disagree on premises? Because really, that's what it comes down to. Right, because the person you're talking to believes that we exist as well. They're just, again, like you said, using it for the sake of winning an argument. They're spinning their wheels. They're trying to basically get you so stuck down in the weeds that you can't get back to actually addressing their argument. Exactly. They want to basically design the whole discussion to prevent their idea or argument or belief from being challenged. Because Mm -hmm. sure, philosophically, you cannot be 100% sure of anything. You can't be sure you exist. You can't be sure you're not a brain in a vat. You can't be sure that you're not the matrix. But you can be fairly sure with a a high probability. And regardless, you have no choice but to act as though you exist, whether you think that you do 100% or not. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, go, go ahead. What was your question? Oh, with as far as the unbiased America goes. Because on a recent post, they did the the budget deficit, and of course they're doing the usual right-wing thing where they say, oh, look at the financial problems of shutting down and blah, blah, blah. And of course, first off, they're assuming from the very premise, from the get-go, that whatever problems happened from the shutdown automatically exceed what would have happened if we did not shut down. And in addition to that, they blame basically the government's strong arm itself in the shutdown rather than the lack of confidence of people actually going out. They don't think that people actually simply didn't go out, not just because they were forced to, but because they didn't feel comfortable going out. Yeah, and okay, so, this is where I'll pay, pay yeah, uh, Kevin's ahead. advocate, but I don't think those are unreasonable assumptions. So, because one, if you look at nothing else, you look at the stock market. Dow Jones Industrial Average was going up to 30,000 up until the end of February. Everything seems to have no reason to think it would, go, it would go wrong. Sure, we might hit a bubble eventually, but it wouldn't have been you know, so quickly in, in March. The fact that it rebounds so quickly is, if you don't look at the nuances and details, at least some indicator that consumer confidence is fairly flexible and lacking an overt discouragement of, or, or prohibi- prohibition of doing business, either investors or consumers are fairly willing to spend. Now, with that said, another thing I will you know, defend Kevin on is he will look to the fact that jobs or um, businesses have rebound so quickly that that is an indicator, if not proof, that but for forced closing of businesses, they, they would have either maintained or at least not lost so, so much. Or uh, even if you're accounting for, maybe they're just compensating for previous loss. But that is still very much a, uh, what do you call it? Something that consumers have some say on rather than all completely on the investors. And right. so, so he, he does kind of have a point, which is that, yes, we went into a lot of uh, deficit and debts for either by subsidizing people or, or um, shutting down businesses. And this is proven or supported by the fact that as soon as we stop doing that, businesses have rebound. Right. And 
Well, well, I was I was just going to say my argument is the whole reason that we rebounded in the first place after the shutdown was because they sent twelve hundred dollars out to everyone and they expanded unemployment. So now people are able to actually spend fairly confidently for a while, boost the economy and whatnot. And that's why the economy rebounded the way it did. So in the the post that we're referring to, he's only talking about the budget deficit. But at the same time, that budget, in order to make the economy rebound the way it did, I would argue that that budget deficit was inevitable. Although I would actually argue that you could have made the budget deficit smaller by simply cutting the defense. Well, and the defense... I think it's around $800 billion right now. Uh, First off, again, right-wingers would argue that Republicans cut the budget deficit when that's not the case. And in fact, Donald Trump has raised the budget deficit every single year that he's been president from the multiple years before Obama left office. And so the budget deficit was already going up already. Okay, yeah. And um, you're you're right, um, which is sending people $1,200, extending unemployment were critical, essential to stabilizing the economy. He would, of course, argue, you know, okay, well, what if you didn't shut down business to begin with, then things would have been fine. Uh, there's no, there, there's no way of knowing that for sure. But you know, until that, people start point. dying and start staying in of their own accord. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a whole, whole different topic of, you know, privilege and, and choice there. But um, yeah. The, the budget deficit was inevitable because it was necessary to um, keep, keep purchasing going. But what's more hypocritical is that he says this almost completely through the lens of businesses shut down, bad deficit, bad jobs, good. He doesn't ask, but, but what causes stock, the stock market to rise so quickly? He doesn't ask how much um, temporarily money has the Federal Reserve pumped into banks and stock market to keep it stable just the past six months. Right. Yeah. So these Lowered are things that. Rates. Yeah. These are things that he completely ignores because it benefits his argument. He doesn't think he takes a step back. People keep com- complaining that, you know, blue states are not opening. It's not a, a, a perfect blue and red separation, obviously, but isn't it kind of funny that. Republicans are complaining that blue states are destroying our economy. Yeah. Isn't that basically admitting that they need us? I mean, it would be, I mean, it would be great if they said, and I'm even trying to think what, what, is their, what is the most absurd way they could put it? Are they saying that uh, the red states are, doing, are pulling their weight and that's where the economy is growing and the blue states are dragging us down by not opening? I mean, for that to be true, you would have to admit that there are two levers being pulled and the blue states just have more power. Yeah, you can't, I mean, that, that um, no matter how you spin it, whether you're talking about there are more red states than, than blue states, which is true, or there's more people on, in red states than, than blue states, probably not true, but whatever. But either way, you have to admit that blue states have the power of either population or business or both. Right. That's one of the things that's been driving me crazy is repeatedly in the last few months, the right-wingers have been trying to make these comparisons of, oh, all the blue states are doing worse and the red states are doing better. And they'll look at one, you know, they'll look at a single cherry-picked aspect of how well a state's doing and they'll see say this proves it when if you look at any other statistic, it would basically, left-wingers could cherry-pick a, a statistic and make the same argument. You know, the southern states are have higher percentages of people in poverty than blue states or, you know, any other sort of thing. And so to to me, just any right winger or left winger trying to make such a such a comparison is stupid. And I think you even it was a comment that you made that someone was talking about how bad California was doing as far as infection rate and all the sort of other sort of stuff. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned that, wait, you kidding me? Texas just surpassed it. And that's a red state. So this causation correlation thing that you're trying to do does not stick if you actually look at more data. Yeah, I'm still very surprised. I mean, I I really tried to look at this in the most shareable light. But okay, California had more cases to start. We had the earliest cases. We had the most diverse population population. We have the one of the highest dense, densest population. Yes, I will totally own we have the highest 
a homeless population, we have the highest property tax. For all accounts, we are a shithole. I'll take that. Who cares? But we, by most measures, fucked up. I, I, you know, despite Newsom and Garcetti, you know, shutting down businesses early, we still fucked up. We still could do better. Now, with that said, uh, people keep saying, you know, New York and maybe California, we forced people into nursing homes. Okay, yeah, again, we fucked up. I will own that. But take a step back and think about controlling for population. Not only where are we way below national average, but what is Texas's excuse? Like, do they just have high density population and those are blue counties? Do they just have an incompetent governor? Like, what is Texas doing right? Well, they do have an incompetent governor. (laughs) And by they, I mean us, (laughs) me. (laughs) But but what is Texas that's doing right at the beginning? And how did they... How do they fuck up at the end? Like, uh, is California hiding our numbers so that we're actually worse than we actually are? Is somebody in Texas over-reporting? Like, I really want to think, what is Texas's reason for exceeding California's death count? Because I mean, I haven't looked into it personally, but I think I'm pretty sure Texas was not that far behind California to begin with. I mean, California is has far more travel than texas does and same thing with new york and that probably is the single biggest reason that those states had it hit them first and so quickly and early and so that's why they had a head start but i think as soon as it did hit texas it basically even if it grew at the same rate the fact that california and new york had a head start would mean that texas is going to be behind it and so whereas california and new york eventually took the steps necessary to slow it down Texas dr- drug its feet. And so San Antonio, I think, is one of the biggest places where where it's spreading like crazy. And I would say that Texas also had an advantage in that in, as far as square mileage goes, it's it's a pretty huge state. And I mean, so is California. But I think things are still a little bit more spread out in Texas. Yeah. Uh, there's more rural area. And so that obviously just the simple fact of population density is going to slow the spread of the virus. Yeah. Population density is one of the biggest predictors of spread. Exactly. And despite that, Texas caught up to California. That's exactly what I'm saying. By population or by implication, population density, because Texas is both fewer people and larger land. So yeah, by that alone, Texas should have no excuse to not be, you know, about a third less than California. How did they, you got to really do something wrong. The Republican governor was towing the Trump line and not taking the virus seriously. And that's what happened. And, 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 and this is even accounting on, I'm being charitable here. Texas even has the hot and humid weather. Mm-hmm. Really, what did, what did you do wrong? So, <laughs> Actually, historically, hot and humid spreads the disease pretty effectively. But <laughs> oh, like well, I, malaria. I thinking, and... you know, yeah, because I was thinking, you know, people were talking about, you know, hot temperatures. I think it's hot, hot and dry is what they said slowed it down and technically where i live in texas that seems the vi- the virus isn't spreading that fast or as fast as it is in the other parts of texas i don't know if it actually has anything to do with that i think it's probably just because it's more rural at the half of texas where i live at but in any case arizona's i, I believe had a big outbreak recently and they're as hot and dry as you can imagine yeah so you know back to the you know the general topic about pandemic and let's touch on will a little bit Oh, let's... You know, when I was a kid, I'll, I'll never forget this. I, when I was a kid, my dad said this to me, and this stuck with me for the rest of my life. He says, when somebody criticizes you, he means when an adult says you did something wrong, don't get defensive and don't say, yeah, well, somebody did worse. Yeah. Why can't you look at yourself and say, I want to be better than the person that's better than me? Why do you get defensive and say, well, at least I'm not the worst one? Yeah. When I think of this, when, when I hear people say, well, you know, we're still better than Sweden or, or Sweden's still better than all the European countries. We're still better than Italy. We're still better than Spain. We're, that's, that's our argument is that we're just comparing ourselves to the losers. Why can't we strive to be like Japan or Vietnam or Taiwan or even China, the origin? As far as the virus goes, now, yeah. Yeah, you can argue that maybe China's hiding it. I, I highly doubt they could hide it forever. Like, I mean, they what, tried to hide it at first what? and obviously it didn't work, so... Yeah. But yeah, fuck it. Don't, don't talk about China. But all the Asian countries, why aren't we striving to be more like them and say, we want to be as cocky and 
flawless as they can be. Why are we comparing ourselves to our European friends and saying, hey, you know, we're not as bad as you? Because the last 34 years, America has been in, <laughs> sitting on the laurels of past prosperity. And like this idea, they repeatedly say the greatest country on earth. I'm like, well, we're a good country still, but we are no longer the greatest. There's lots of countries doing better than us in a lot of ways. In most of the ways that matter, like just the Legatum Prosperity Index, you know, lists all the basically all the best countries in order and America's like 17. Yeah. And so when I think of Will, I think of, you know, he suddenly becomes, you know, super skeptical and denialist about, hey, you don't have evidence. But any other day, is he demanding this much evidence when it comes to climate change? Is he demanding this much evidence when it comes to you mean de denying or, climate change? <laughs> what, whichever. It doesn't matter if you're demanding evidence, you're going to, the evidence inevitably will take you to where it should be. So yeah, you're not demanding evidence. I, 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 I do believe that if you look at evidence holistically and honestly, you cannot not um, accept climate change. Yeah, you can't. Right. There's, you cannot be a sane, reasonable person and not accept climate change. And it drives me nuts that because it's so obvious you can't outright deny it, the next goalpost to retreat to that right-wingers have retreated to is basically they say, well, we probably had something to do with some of the climate change. I'm like, no, we are the primary driver of it. You can't say that. You can't pretend like you're accepting science and say that we're, we're responsible for some small portion of it. Yeah. Or just to give you the, 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 their very last resort, which is, yeah, but my freedom's more important. Like if, like, if you wanted to say that, you could have said that from the beginning, which is, I don't care. Yeah. You don't care about science. You have yeah. a supposed value that overrides each and every other thing. And so, so to, to give you the analogy, you know, Will and all these, these mask deniers, they will demand to hell. You prove to them that masks work. But they're not looking at what's right in front of them, which is people in Taiwan, people in Japan have shut up six months ago. They put on masks. They didn't argue. They didn't politicize it because they're still scarred by SARS. Yeah. They understand South that Korea took care of business. Yeah. South Korea, you know, this is the funny thing. When you look at Asia, South Korea could look bad in comparison to Taiwan. But nothing is as bad as, you know, Brazil and Sweden and the United States. Yeah. So, so um, it, it's, it's sad that, you know, Asian countries are still are competing with each other who's worse. W meanwhile, we're, we're here doing the same thing. But it means a totally different yeah. thing. You can, and you can show them all the studies, but this is what it, what it gets down to. Whenever you show them academic literature on the topics that they don't want to believe, whether it's climate change or masks, then they start retreating to, well, you know, who paid for that study or all this other stupid stuff as if there's some worldwide conspiracy of, of people paying every scientist uniformly to com come to the same conclusions rather than accept reality that the evidence is showing that you're not right. Yeah. And this, is, this comes back to why I said earlier, and now I remember, this is the real dishonesty. And I, I'm willing to believe some people are ignorant, but I think for people like Will, people who run sites, they really have no excuse. They are dishonest. Yeah. They are not ignorant. Like when they say that a virus particle is smaller than a, than a face mask hole, they are being dishonest. Yeah. It's not that this isn't true, but they bringing it up means that they don't understand how the virus is spreading. Yes, a virus particle is smaller than a mask hole. But a virus isn't tra traveling alone. A virus doesn't have wings. Yeah, it travels in uh, respiration. Or it travels in yeah. the water vapor <laughs> that you breathe out. Vapor and droplets, yeah. So in, in this, I believe in this thread, you know, pe people were discussing, somebody, somebody did bring up, Will, you're being dishonest. It's not viruses traveling alone. Viruses travel through droplets. He had the audacity to ask, well, can you prove that that's how the virus is spreading? Um, I mean, when, when it's, it's I mean, every scientist things, but... that's uh, talking on the topic sure believes it is. And I'm not a genius, but I'm pretty sure that if you're not an epidemiologist, if you're not a virologist, it's probably a bet. Like, why does Ricky will Ricky Ardella think that he knows more about virus spread than the people who spend their entire lives in that field? Oh, I know why. Because Fauci and Ferguson were wrong. That's why.
Yeah, it's well, and of course that's a uh, that's a case of counting all the hits and the misses. Ricky Ardella never thinks about all the times he's been wrong. He only thinks about the times that someone he dislikes has been wrong, and he doesn't pay attention yeah. to the more often that they are right. And he doesn't. I mean, the whole principle of yeah. science is that first off, the whole virus thing was a brand new thing. We didn't have that big of a sample size. We didn't have that much to go on at the beginning. So of course the scientists are going to be wrong in a lot of the things that they, they thought at first, but they're still more likely to be right at the exact same point in time than any lay person or moron like will. And I say moron, I'm sure he's smart in his own way in the sense that he's good at inventing rationalizations to keep believing the things he already believes. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> This is what I, what, I, what I used to say, and you've, you've heard me ask this. I ask this to any climate change denier, which is forget who believes what. Just tell me who has the longest track record of being right. I will listen to yeah. that person. I don't, care what, I don't care if he believes the sun is causing climate change or climate change is, is fake or the globe is cooling. Just find me the person who has the biggest track record of making correct predictions, and I will listen to that person. And pretty much every one of these cases, it's the actual experts, not the moronic political pundits that have a political philosophy that they're trying to trying to sift whatever, sift the inconvenient data out of the convenient data so that they can just confirm whatever they're talking about. And which is exactly what right wingers are doing with both the, the, the virus and uh, climate change. And to me, it's so frustrating because I'm almost annoyed that I know as much about climate change as I do because I know enough to basically debunk almost every single one almost everything one of these morons can say to me but at the same time I don't have to have done that I shouldn't have had to have done that because no matter what the experts are still and this is another thing they they would say, oh, you're making an appeal to authority. No, that's not an appeal to authority. An appeal to authority is a fallacy. Uh, if I'm appealing to a preacher told me because, or if I'm trying to say my belief about the virus is true because an authority is in a preacher or, or, you know, party leader said this to me, that's an appeal to an authority. Defer deferring yeah, to an expert is not appealing to an authority. Deferring to an expert is exactly what you should be doing. It is a non-fallacious uh, position. I, I think I think this is this is very important. You're not appealing to a scientist because his opinion, because you take his opinion based on the fact that he has experience. What you're actually doing is you're you are taking what he studied because he has a tracker yeah. studying. So I think that's a very important distinction. It's actually, regardless of whether you have credentials or um, your credentials or, 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 or authority in government, you trust the person who is right the most times. Right. That's different than saying you trust his opinion this time based on his 1,000 educated guesses in the past. Right. Although that would still not be a fallacy, that would still be a fairly reasonable right. conclusion. I mean, it could still be right, wrong. Absolutely, that's, that's the point. it could absolutely. It's not right because he's an author because yeah. he's an authority. Yeah. It is more likely to be right because he is an expert. Not Ricardella, just uh, you know, say climate change. G deferring mm -hmm. to the to the expert, you're not claiming that they're right because they're an expert. You're making the logical conclusion that because they have spent their life, they've spent their life researching this area, that they're much more probably correct than some idiotic political pundit or, exactly. <laughs> or, uh, or Facebook warrior. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, like, like you said, Sometimes you wish you, you didn't know as much as they do because sometimes it annoys me. You still have people today. today. I was very disappointed the other day that my friend was still saying uh, virus particles are smaller than, than mask holes. I'm like, what have you been doing this past six months? You just haven't been listening. But today, you still have people that are going to tell you um, it used to be called global warming, then it was changed to climate <laughs> change because it stopped. Oh, man. 
Like this is so annoyingly, you know, this is what we call Pratt, you know, point refuted a thousand times over. Um, it's so annoyingly repetitive that you wonder if this person really is that ignorant or they're, they're just trolling. And, and they're not. Well, it, I think it's something, it's a, it's a more insidious thing than that. I don't think that they're ignorant because I'm, these people have heard the rebuttal to it before. They know that, that, that that's stupid, that it's been, that climate change and global warming have existed at the same time the whole time the whole time this has been in discussion and they're simply referring to different aspects of the same thing. Like the international panel on climate change has existed since 1988. They didn't change it to climate change sometime in the recent late nineties or something like that. Like it's been about climate change, but global warming is the, the trend of over the entire earth. Climate change is simply referring to the, the change in weather as a result of global warming. And these, these people have been told this and it's it just, it's like a selective amnesia uh, to protect their ego. Yeah, exactly. That's just, that's what, that's exactly what denialism is. And they pretend every and time they hear it, like that's the first time that they've heard it, but of course they'll still never. And this is almost every debate that I've ever had on online with, with people of this, profoundly uh, um, intellectual dishonesty or uh, what it is, is you will prove them for without a doubt, 100% to be wrong. And they will never admit that they were wrong. They'll skip to another uh, topic or they'll, they'll try to make some sort of cop out like well everyone's entitled to their opinions like no we're not talking opinion there are things that are objectively true and when you get proven wrong then rather than continue to try to prove that i'm wrong you just pretend like you're justified in making up in in opinionated ignorance like that's fine have your opinion yeah. but keep your damn mouth closed and quit trying to tell other people they're wrong when you, the evidence is against you yeah this reminds me of, I had a friend who told me, again, we've heard this a million times, they told us it was going to cool in the 70s. I said, no, they didn't. <laughs> and you know what she said? You know what she what? said? She said, I remember they did. People who say otherwise are gaslighting. <laughs> like, like, what do you say to somebody who says, I remember things better than all the evidence in, in front of me? Uh Tell them that their opinion is not worth hearing. <laughs> but it's not my opinion. I remember it. Yes. Tell them you don't remember it because it's not true. We have evidence that that's not the case. You wait, actually here, because there's, there's people say, for example, that say they saw a UFO and you, they say, you can't tell me I didn't see a UFO. And I'm like, I can't tell you, you didn't something to see something whether or not you properly interpreted what you saw is a whole different story. And so she probably saw a story that was a bogus story back in the seventies that claimed that, you know, whatever, something to that effect, that doesn't mean she was correct back then. Just like it doesn't mean she's correct back or today. You, she yeah. saw something, but that doesn't mean she interpreted it right then or that she's yeah. re that she's remembering it correctly. Now, the, uh, that's that's without being in the cognitive psychology background that I am. <laughs> the memory is so much not what people act like. They think that it's like a oh, they think it's like a photographic, or it's they're like I know what I saw. I'm like, no, you don't know what you saw. You remember that you saw something, or you're pretty sure you did, but you mm -hmm. may have. There's so much room for error. You may have misinterpreted it then, or you may have interpreted it correctly then, or you, and you may be missing, misremembering it back then or what you remember back then. You're still being way, yeah, you're still being way too generous. I just go straight to, they want to believe it. That's why they believe yeah. it. It's really that. It's not, it's, it's right. really not. They remember it so vividly. I mean, I, I, I mean, fuck, I will say it. There is no way that there was a scientific consensus back then to say something. And then fast forward 40 years later, somebody made up the records, cleaned out everybody's memories. And somehow the only people that say that happened are the people that are deniers and 
the other people are the on the other side. Like that is one hell of a conspiracy. Oh yeah, and it, of course that would have had to have happened in every country, not just the multiple different institutions in America. It would have had the same thing would have had to occur in in Japan and the UK and Germany and Denmark. Every single one of the the same fabrication would have happened across the planet, and that is so improbable. It's so silly to think that that is more likely than that you misremembered something. So let me ask you, why is the refutation that you just gave now useless to them today? You know why? Because you can't convince people who don't value evidence. You can't use evidence to convince people who don't value evidence or, or whatever they define as they define evidence selectively based on what's going to help confirm what they already want to believe. So like, uh, for, for, for example, with say a fundamentalist, they will say personal experience is evidence that their belief is true and, uh, that scientists are making everything up and scientists and scientific papers isn't real evidence. They're basically defining evidence simply as whatever, you know, verifies yeah. their beliefs. Of course, you can still play their game at that and you can say, okay, well, personal experiences count. So what about the personal experiences of people not in your religion, say of a different religion, the thousands of other religions, and they'll, they'll have to scramble to figure out why they're, or to make up an excuse why their personal experience trumps. (laughs) What was that? Can't you just say they're lying? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this, that's not, but um, the reason I, I asked, you know, how, how come, you know, the, the appeal to evidence doesn't work for these people? I, I'll, I'll tell you why, why, you know, it's very uniquely uh, evident today, which is these people are anti-maskers in our country. They cannot even bring themselves to look out their window and say, holy shit, how can Japan and Taiwan be so miraculously competent? <laughs> like, they must all be in on this conspiracy to, uh, to, to fuck our elections up. Yeah. Either that or, or, or I've, another one I've heard. Um, uh, the guy said, no, they're not in on the conspiracy. They're just reporting things correctly. We, the United States, we're fucking our own numbers up just to scare our own people into voting, you know, one way or the <laughs> other. Yeah. But I mean, when all else fails, I guess, yeah, you got, you just got, got, got to keep saying the people in front of you are, are it's are so interesting you. because the, you know, the far right strongly dislikes postmodernists because they believe in, you know, relativism of various kinds and whatnot. And, you know, I'm against, uh, postmodernists of that stripe as well. But at the same time, the same people will completely <laughs> defend almost the exact sort of thinking in Trump voters and Trump supporters, because again, with the alternative facts, with all that sort of, th- they, th- they that's, think that's that the, reality changes depending on how they feel about it. No, no, you have to make a distinction. There's a difference between skepticism and denial. Yeah. And postmodernism is not denial. Postmodernism is skepticism and cynicism. That's different than denial. You know what I'm saying? Well, postmodernism is a whole different, it, it depends what you're talking about, but in the, in the sense that say, Say a, a postmodernist might tell me that I can't judge people in sub-Saharan Africa for female genital mutilation, uh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah I can. That's moral, that's moral skepticism. <laughs> See, that's moral skepticism. That's not fact yeah. denial. So that's that's the, that's a very important yeah. distinction. This is this is why it's very important to know what you're know what you're referring to. This is like, you know, an hour ago we were talking about. People conflate the difference between biological differences and economic power. One, you can take away from somebody. It'll violate their rights, but it won't take away their, their body. Right. Similarly here, um, people, this is a very dangerous fallacy, which is people say that you know, postmodernism, because they are morally skeptical or morally nonconforming, like, kind of like people like to say, oh, so you don't believe in God, you must believe in nothing. It's kind of yeah. like that. You have to understand that postmodernists are skeptical of uh, social structures and norms and moral judgments. That's different than fact denial. Mm-hmm. Postmoderns are not fact deniers. I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've seen various strains of, and of course, I don't know what 
I'm not going to argue with people because every time I get into one of these esoteric belief systems, whether it be uh, anarcho-communism or something like that, they say, no, you do just don't understand it, right? And so I'm not going to, or that's not real anarchists or anarchy or it's not real uh postmodernism so i'm not going to argue about what is real postmodernism or whatnot but my my experience is that the people that identify as postmodernists will say um uh, for example if you aren't a member of this particular group you cannot say anything about this particular group as far as fact fact claims as oh, if yeah. As if, as if scholarly and academic studies can't be done, regardless of what group you personally are in, uh, because that's the sort of relativ relativism that I'm talking about. Fair enough. Okay, I get what you're saying now, and and I'll take back. Maybe it's not so much that postmodernists are not fact deniers; it's that they are not. Um, I almost want to say they're not cultists, and let me explain what I mean. Um, yes, postmodernists do have their problems. Put it that way. Postmodernists do have some um, uh, too much freedom in denying things that shouldn't be denied, disputing that shouldn't be disputed. But, but there is still a difference between saying, I kind of don't believe in anything. Uh, every, everything's kind of, kind of whatever. That's one thing. But a cultist or a denier is, and this is, this is what, what's very unique about deniers. Deniers are rarely just people who deny everything. And that would be nice. If it was that simple, they probably wouldn't be so harmful. Right. Deniers are people who decided I believe something and nothing will convince me otherwise. Right. So I will deny everything that doesn't conform and unquestionably believe everything right. that does. Absolutely. So that, yeah, that's the difference between a postmodernist and a cultist or a denialist. Well, and you were mentioning the difference between denialist and skeptic. That's, again, getting back to the – or on – using the topic, the topic of climate change, multi so many people call themselves climate skeptics. I'm like, you're not a climate, skept climate skeptic at this point. You are a denialist. You are in denial. There is more than sufficient evidence to prove any, skept any reasonable skeptic that climate change is happening and that humans are the primary cause and that it deserves at least some, some action to try and mitigate it. What you are these skeptics are absolutely simply in denial of, of something that doesn't conform to their opinion, because what skepticism is, is someone makes a claim and you're, you haven't seen the evidence and it's a somewhat, you know, strong claim. And you're like, eh, I don't know about that. I'm going to need to see some proof. And so with each, and if, and so when confronted with proof with each additional piece of decent proof, you you raise your probability in your mind of thinking that that thing is true that is what a skeptic is what these denialists are doing is they, every time they see something that's legit proof they they think of some sort of rationalization in order to not consider it proof so that they can continue believing what their political yeah. ideology demands that they think yeah so um that that kind of let me just add one more thing, then we'll probably change the topic. When I hear, you know, people like, like Will asking, oh, are, can you prove that it's um, spread by respiratory droplets? Or people who say, well, look at this study. Um, there's no evidence that business closures, I refuse to use the term lockdown because it's very misleading, very broad, doesn't say right. anything. There's no, there's no evidence that business closures um, um, slow the spread or that there's no evidence that social distancing or masks um, are appreciably working or, um, or another one I've, I've heard is um, there's no such thing as a vaccine that what they mean is there's no such thing as a vaccine that works or, or works appreciably. I try to think of it as I can't refute you right away. So I have the option of either giving you the benefit of doubt and say, okay, let's say you might be right. I still need to, convince you to think correctly or do the right thing or do i have to just say you're wrong even if i can't prove it so i'll give you an example um let's say in a, in a very remote pro probability that yeah 
we got it wrong. Maybe um, the way the virus spreads is in fact in a hard to explain way, meaning it's not through droplets. It's probably airborne. There probably is no easy correlation to track the pattern of spreading. There's no consistency because whether, whether we, we look at population density, we're wrong. We look at masks, we're wrong. We look at whether people go to work, we're wrong. We look everywhere. There's n never a real gotcha that says this is the biggest predictor of how, how things work. Let's say that is true. How do I go back and say, yes, but you still need to, I still appreciate if you take reasonable precautions. Yeah. Understand my question? Um, sorry, my <laughs> chihuahua walked up and started pawing at my leg. I missed that last. Uh, what was your question? Um, let me see if I can ask sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, let, I'll, I'll give you a shorter example. Let's say I, I was talking to my friend and I said, okay, we should be you know, locking down wearing masks until we get a vaccine. The vaccine would be the biggest breakthrough in curbing this appreciably. Yeah. And he says, there's no such thing as a vaccine that works. And what he means is there isn't one now. What makes you think we'll get one anytime soon? What he's, try what he's really trying to say is there's no cure in sight. Why can't we just accept that um, we're going to die? Stop trying to fight it. Yeah. Well, what are, when oh, he said, oh, oh, I was just going to say, it reminds oh. me of the same thing in, in climate change now that uh, or a lot of the people who the denialists who say or who are done denying that temperature is rising. On average, they're like, okay, well, there's nothing we can do to stop it. So why actually change anything now? As if you can't make yeah. it worse. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think I kind of answered my own question, which is, okay, uh, let's say, let's say um, there's no such thing as a vaccine that works or we, we're not getting one anytime soon. Um, what should we do? Uh, the, the, uh, the guy I'm talking to, his answer would be just accept that people are going to die. But I have a response to that, which is, well, Japan and Taiwan disagree. They did something, whatever they're doing, whether it's prayer or, or flipping a coin, they made it work. So there is something we could do. And you just can't tell me it's just yeah. luck. It's just an excuse for them to not right. do, it, do anything if it's inconvenient for them or their ideology or anything like that. It's just a yeah. justification. But my greater question was, my greater question was still, you know, being more charitable, being more skeptical of myself, which is, what if, what if we're actually wrong? Now, let's just be insane and imagine this. What if this whole time we were being wishfully thinking, which is everything we thought we knew about this virus turned out to be wrong. We look at masks, we look at population density, we look at people's shopping habits, eating habits, um, what they do, whether they wash their hands. Everywhere we look, there's no correlation. There's just no logical explanation for how things spread. Then, um, if that turned out to be true, um, my question is, you know, how do we tell people next time, uh, please play along because we know nothing? Or what, what, what should we even th say or think, knowing that um, there is a there's a probability that either there is no natural explanation or we just have, we'll just never find it? And that's my question. Um, <laughs> is that too if, much imagination? In, uh, to, to... In, in, in your so you're literally saying if nobody had any clue why something was happening, pretty much, then you yes. couldn't. Then you couldn't okay. like there. If you had no idea why something is happening, now you should certainly try different things, but there wouldn't be any. Any yeah. so what, the reason I'm asking this is because I'm trying to think. Oh, the reason I'm asking is, how do I know we're not just wishfully thinking that we found the answer to why the virus is spreading? We're not just cherry-picking um, evidence to support our argument that we know, we know how to combat this virus because we just happen to keep looking where we want to and find because the it didn't happen. our theory. How because it didn't happen in a vacuum. There's, a hundred, hundreds of, there's decades and decades and decades of virology research there's a re the 
COVID-19 didn't pop out of nowhere. There's a reason that it's called SARS-CoV-19 because there's other viruses that have similar genetics and that operate through similar means causing similar symptoms there. So there's, it's not unreasonable to expect that they would share some similar properties and to investigate the possibility of that. And so with SARS, uh, severe acute respiratory uh, syndrome, I think is what it stands for. Uh, there's masks helped stop the spread of that back then. So why not uh, in the meantime, wear masks now to potentially, and this is early on, uh, wear masks, whether we have a ton of evidence or not, because it's not really going to hurt. At this point, we do have evidence that masks work, and we do have the evidence that that supports the science, or that we have the science that supports doing the changing these behaviors, at least until we get a vaccine. And because it's a virus, and because we've had success with making vaccines to viruses in the past there's there's good reason to think that we can make a vaccine for this one okay let me ask you this how do you explain the countries that aren't wearing masks but got it under control uh (laughs) population density actually actually for one thing because they'll point at sweden uh, and so while Sweden does have, or no, yeah, Sweden does have low population density. And actually, if you look at deaths per capita, they aren't doing particularly well. No, 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 I'm not, no, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about Sweden. I'm not talking about any European countries. I'm talking about Asian countries that may not be wearing masks like Singapore. They're do they're taking other measures that solve the like same problem. Pro, uh, I'm guessing lockdowns. I don't know the specific. Um, okay. Because uh, you know, I I I, it, it, I haven't fact checked this, but I, I know that okay, contact yeah, tracing okay, is one of the things. Uh, or for example, South Korea is doing tons of testing, uh, contact tracing. Uh, I'm pretty sure they are wearing masks, but I'm not 100 percent sure. South Korea definitely wear masks. Yeah, but a guy in Singapore told me, and I didn't fact check this, and so yes, somebody editing this video, this audio will take this clip and say, "Hey, he said he didn't fact check this." Ha ha. <laughs> but a guy told me. I live in Singapore. We have neither lockdowns nor masks. So we're just living our lives and, and everything's okay. So is that just, they didn't get it or they, they quickly caught the few people that did. So they isolated and that was the end of the story. There's a million different, there, there's a million, perhaps they have almost no immigration there because I don't know, or, or Singapore, I th- actually, I think they probably do have a decent amount of immigration, but for example, there could be there could be a country that simply doesn't have much immigration there, and that could be the reason that that it's not catching on and at the same time low population density. There's any number of circumstances that could that they could render masks unnecessary, but as far as normal densely populated areas with a good amount of of either immigration or tourism they need to wear masks and masks will slow the spread of the virus. And if nothing else, you know, you got to believe that all these countries out there are out to fuck us over because they don't want us visiting them. Like they don't want our money. (laughs) Oh yeah, uh, exactly. And you also have to believe that, that, that liberals, this is one of the craziest, most annoying things that happens is they say liberals want to stay shut down forever. I'm like, no, Liberals want to get out as much as you do. You do. They want to go to their hipster bars and drink their lattes and, <laughs> ha- ha- yeah, exactly. Have their little their little vape sessions with you know fifty of their friends. Like they want to get out and do stuff and get together in large groups, just like you do. So it, it it's just mind boggling. What you think we don't want to go? <laughs> exactly. You don't. You think we don't want to go to our our symposiums, our intellectual elite conferences where we can scoff at the the seriously you think japan canceled their olympics for what (laughs) it's just silly that 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 these obviously not true things that it's almost like they think liberals aren't human and don't have the normal cognition that that or basic human cognition that everybody has no they, they have to believe that they have to believe that liberals and socialists and leftists either have a partially working brain or we have some superpower that stops us from having the same desire for social contact as everybody 
Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a political theory out there that says introversion and extroversion is a is the biggest predictor of your party. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure that's not the case. I've I haven't seen any studies. Well, I, 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 I dispute that. In, I dispute that introversion and extroversion are are um, you know are are what do you call it? Uh, things that don't change anyway. So yeah. Well, I mean, there, I, I there's a lot change. to be said for temperament because there is uh, depending on biological reasons that you're you you may uh, be more sensitive to stimuli or you may be uh, particularly sensitive to negative stimuli and all this other sort of stuff. So there's a, there's a lot to be said about temperament, but in this case, I don't think that would explain any of that. (laughs) 